0: to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser. I'm a positive health psychologist, also author of the award-winning and best-selling book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of information for all things related positive psychology, goal-achieving psychology, rejuvenating, and many other things designed to help you stay well, happy, positive, and healthy. And as you know, our podcasts are designed in the same way. We provide guests who lead their own lives enthusiastically, who have something to contribute to helping us be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. Today's guest is no different, and I'm really proud and happy to welcome Kevin Berciaga, who is a physical therapist, but much more than that. Kevin dealt with multiple eating disorders in his 20s before developing his own method to overcome them. Now he teaches his method, which is called the Empowered Eating System, to students young professionals, athletes, and men to help them eat right anytime and anywhere. I don't know of anybody who doesn't think about eating right. Am I doing it right? Am I gaining weight? Am I eating healthy? Am I losing weight? Do I look okay? So many things connected with this area. And so I'm really proud that you've been able to join us today. Kevin, welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Okay. Well, Kevin, I know you are a physical therapist and also the specialist in eating disorders and healthy eating. How do you combine the two?
1: As physical therapists, we can address nutrition. We have to stay in our own lane, as I say. We can't prescribe meal plans and tell people exactly what to eat. But we are healthcare professionals and we want to become the kind of the gateway and we want people to come to us to learn how to modify their lifestyles and become healthier. So we have to address nutrition. And I think that's part of my own journey too. Like I developed these, these eating disorders in my early twenties. I didn't even know what physical therapy was then. I didn't know that was in my path, but I ended up going to school to become one. It got worse when I was in grad school and worse after I graduated. So it's all, it's all part of that, that whole path that I didn't know about, but that's the way it worked out.
0: So you kind of spend all your time on wellness, but some of it is more in the PT area, the physical therapy area, and some of it is spent with clients who are, are dealing with eating disorders, as you once did. How does somebody develop an eating disorder? In other words, you know you talked about this kind of big block of time in your late teens, early 20s. It's a time that you know people should be having fun, getting out, stuff like that. How do you wind up either worrying about food or having that such a, a central part of your life?
1: Nobody wakes up and says, "I'm going to have an eating disorder and that's never anybody's intention. All it takes is a few, or at least one, bad thought to enter your mind, and then you take that thought and turn it into a belief, and then it changes your behavior. I think for me, it was a combination of isolation, immaturity, and insecurity. I didn't know where I was going, what I wanted to do, what I wanted to become. I was 20, 21 years old. what, What man knows exactly what he wants? I didn't feel adequate. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I hear that a lot. In this space, and that wasn't good enough. I didn't necessarily want the attention, but I wanted to be fitter, leaner, faster than anybody. I said that I wanted to become healthier. That was really just a, a mask uh, for my own insecurity. It was not the truth. I was only deceiving myself when I said that. So that's a short answer of how an ED develops. We could write a whole essay on it, but yeah, it's thoughts and insecurities that I think leads to the development.
0: So is it usually, not necessarily asking you about yourself now, but in terms of people with whom you work, is it usually a situation where the end goal is it to be more fit, to be thinner? Uh, you know, is there some positive thing that this is, you know, it's kind of like in college, I might have to take a course that I don't particularly like, and I know I don't like it, but I gotta take it to get to my goal. Is this part of what's going on in this case that there is some goal and I'm gonna try and get there even though there's a certain amount of unpleasantness connected with it? I think
1: sometimes the, the intention is right, but then the, the goal changes. It's I wanna be fitter, I wanna be more attractive. I, I'm not good enough, I need to be really thin. I mean, especially a woman. But again, it goes back to these insecurities when you don't feel like you're adequate or you're good enough, it's gonna drive you to engage in these abnormal behaviors. It's like you will go to these lengths to attain something, some image, some physique. I think that's what happens. The desire to be healthy, yeah, that's that's fine. But that shouldn't lead to this kind of behavior because then you end up less healthy, way less healthy than when you started.
0: Yeah. Again, just as a psychologist, while I don't specialize in this area, I've seen enough people who, you know, really wind up going down kind of a, a real dark path in search of something that may have been more positive. What kinds of eating disorders are there? What are some of them?
1: If you want to consult the DSM, there's only three: there's anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. But there's a lot of other ones. There's eating disorders not otherwise stated or other feeding and restrictive disorders. uh, That's kind of like a catch-all. I hope I'm saying that right. But then you have like orthorexia, which doesn't have a formal diagnosis. You have chewing and spitting. That's, again, does not have a formal diagnosis. There's exercise bulimia, same thing. There's fasting. There's fasting bulimia, using fasting as a means to compensate. So there's a lot of different forms of compensatory behavior. But there's only three that are Three technical eating disorders.
0: But you did mention a term that I think many of us are unfamiliar with, orthorexia. What is that?
1: That is a form of disorder eating when you have an unhealthy fixation, and obsession on what you eat and on nutrition. You're very regimented, very strict. You think about it too much. You worry about it too much. There's an emphasis on purity and on perfectionism. That's what a is and it often leads to a significant amount of weight loss not necessarily anorexic that's a whole different level but less than what you need and it definitely compromises health I mean, in my case I was getting stress fractures and I had low iron and low testosterone and <laughs> couldn't build muscle mass man I was just this emaciated male and I was healthier before I started so that's kind of the irony is that I was fine before and then I decided to get really fit and I ended up destroying my health.
0: Yeah, I've seen this with people with anorexia too, just the notion of if you follow it along long enough, it can become a really life-threatening kind of thing that has to be dealt with in a hospital so that, you know, almost anybody is healthier before they go down down that path, even though they may have insecurities and and complaints. How did you happen to uh, interrupt that process for yourself? It took a while. I mean, I tried
1: interrupting it many, many times. But like I said, all it takes is one bad belief to maintain behavior. The behavior starts relatively fast. It takes a long time to to break it if you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But for me, it started in my early 20s and then into my early 30s. So we're talking about a whole decade of of this kind of behavior. Now, how did I break it? I stopped doing what I was doing before. I kept thinking, I just need to try harder. I just need to eat less. I just need to keep everything out of the home. Or I just need to exercise more, whatever. But I needed to challenge some of the beliefs that I had. Like, I need this to get through the day. I need this to cope. This makes my life easier. This, so there's some belief in there, and I had to challenge those and learn to reject those beliefs and replace them with new
0: beliefs. Did you get some help with it, or did you just kind of one day get tired of it? You know, it sounds like you had pretty much of an embedded behavior pattern. You should be real proud you were able to do it, but I, I'm i just wondering how does somebody reached, at least in your case, how somebody reached that insight that this is something to try.
1: I didn't wake up one day and say, okay, I'm done with this. Man, I tried that so many times and it never worked. There was always a reason to not make those changes. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was hooked. You know, I really, I hated it and I liked it. You now I hated all the effects that it had, but I liked the escape. I liked the entertainment. That was hard to, to overcome. Mm-hmm. That's why I say don't quit cold turkey. It, like, this doesn't end in one day, especially if you've had this kind of behavior for years and years and years. But it does start with one decision it's saying no when you want to say yes, or the opposite. And it just starts there. It's not going to be overnight. You're not going to be perfect. Recovery is up and down. It's like a stock market. You need to accept that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it does start with that decision that says, I am going to change this and I'm going to change it now, not later.
0: Where you are now, is the eating disorder history or is it like an alcoholic where you're always conscious of the fact that you can relapse? Or do you reach a point where, hey, this was an unproductive behavior, this isn't me, I'm not gonna do it anymore and you're pretty confident that you're not going to?
1: The chance of relapse is never zero but it's always a choice. So if you don't want to go back, you don't have to. But yeah, anybody who has recovered, including me, is capable of repeating that behavior. Assuming they have those thoughts in their mind, well, not necessarily the thought, but the belief. Okay, You can have a thought, but a belief says you must do this. As long as you don't have that belief, as long as you reject that belief, it's almost impossible. But it's not like... You have to live one day at a time. Oh, I hope I don't relapse today. I hope I don't relapse today. It's kind of like the the curve that we're seeing right now with COVID-19. There's you know, this huge uptick, and then it come, comes down, but it never quite reaches zero. It's always just above that line. That's kind of how recovery is. It's like, yeah, you never quite reach zero probability. Mm-hmm. Low probability, mm-hmm. it's never zero.
0: You talked about insecurity in the past. You obviously are successful now. Does that contribute to it? In other words, if somebody feels pretty good about themselves, are they less likely to go into this type of behavior, or can you still just not feel all that secure, and, and are you still vulnerable to it? Well, insecurity definitely definitely contributes to it, but
1: you can have a great life and still do it. Now, I always bring up the example of, of celebrities. Look how many celebrities are addicted to something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's alcohol, sex, drugs, you know, whatever it is. They have everything, you know, they have very good lives. They have respect, they have money, fame, whatever. You know, everything that a, that a person would want and they're still dealing with addiction. So you can you can feel good about yourself, you can feel good about your life, but as long as you have that habit and you don't challenge it, it can still still affect your life. Like For me, it started at 21, but it kept going at 28, 29 despite everything else that was going on in my life. My life had improved, I was older, I was more mature, I wasn't isolated anymore, and I still had that happen. Yeah. Until I confronted it, which is never comfortable, you know, it just, it was there.
0: Just like with the celebrities, you can have external success, but if you're not experiencing it in, internally, then, then you're vulnerable.
1: Yeah, you're always going to be vulnerable. And so zero, like I said, zero probability, that's not realistic, but you can minimize that risk. And as long as you have the right beliefs, the chances are very low. You shouldn't worry about it any more than you worry about you know, getting a rare form of cancer. It's like, can you get it? Sure. But if the chances, not very much. You can move on with your day. You don't have to think, oh, today is day 904. Of my recovery, I hope it doesn 't end here that, you know that 's not a good way to live
0: yeah, so that should be encouraging for people to recognize that that it 's something that you can essentially beat even though there 's still that little chance but essentially it 's not like you have to go through avoiding uh, you know eating and things of that nature or thinking about it every meal and and so on that once once you 've got it pretty well controlled, it's, it can stay pretty well controlled, it can be a success story. Historically, uh, I've, among my patients, I've known considerably more women than men who have had eating disorders. Is that kind of the way it breaks, or am I getting kind of a distorted population?
1: No, I don't have exact percentages, nobody does. You know, it's, it's hard to, hard to quantify. You know, they don't put that on the census. Have you had an eating disorder? Yes or no? That'd be great if we had that kind of data, but privacy. Yes, it does tend to afflict women more than men. I have several ideas why, but yes. But it's not exclusive to women.
0: Okay, so as I mentioned in the introduction, you've developed the empowered eating system. What is the empowered eating system?
1: That is the result of all of my struggle and all of my failures and all of my faulty attempts to recover. That's really what that is. Like, is. Don't do this, do this. You know, here's what works, here's what doesn't. Here are the beliefs that you have, here are the beliefs that you need to adopt. It's a three-month program. They work with me on Zoom. They also, have, they also communicate with me privately. They have some online modules. Yeah, it's, a, it's a three-month journey to get from where they are now to where they want to be what is that? Do you want to eat right all day, every day? You no, know, they don't want to have these behaviors. They certainly don't want the effects of these behaviors. So we start with week one. We talk about, okay, what are these beliefs that are driving the behavior? They don't happen in a vacuum. You're not a rat. You're not a reptile, even though you have a reptilian part of your brain. You know, we always have consciousness. We choose what we do. So that's where we start. And then towards the end, we talk about diet, what she eat, sustainable weight loss, all of that.
0: So it's kind of both the belief system and the practical, what choices you make in terms of foods. Am I hearing correctly?
1: Yeah, I give them some basic principles to, to go by. No meal plans. I don't say, oh, should you do keto? she do South Beach? Should you do vegan? No, I don't care. I don't care what diet they choose. As long as they feel like they are in control and they're making choices that make them healthier and empower them, hence the name.
0: okay, so it's not a not a calorie counting kind of uh, <laughs> no. diet kind of
1: in fact, I would prefer they get away from that. I mean that's one of the behaviors they adopted. so it's like let's move away from those kind of behaviors. That's my goal. Let's stop doing this over time and then let's adopt these new behaviors.
0: What about just, you know, regular people who don't have an eating disorder? But, you know, I mean, there, there's a significant obesity epidemic in the country. There are obviously too many people in the other category where, where they're dangerously underweight and so on. Is there some kind of general guideline that regular person who doesn't have something pathological going on in that area that wants to make sure hey you know 10 years from now or 20 years from now i want to still be healthy what what are there some general principles you recommend to them
1: i would say eat simple foods and eat when you're hungry don't eat when you're not sounds so simple but are you repeating that day in day out
0: i suspect that's very true i mean i i know uh in my office, for example, we occasionally, when someone would come back from vacation or something like that, they'd bring treats and be in in this area. And I I remember at one point, if I saw it there, I, I figured I better take something, even if I'm not hungry, because it may not be there when I come back. And yeah. once I started tuning into the fact that hey, if, if I'm not hungry, how do I know I'm going to be hungry later? So Why take it that, you know, if you just kind of tune into, are you hungry? That should be a pretty good guideline as opposed to, geez, is it available? Just keep in mind that
1: our brains are hardwired for scarcity. I mean, we live in a really abnormal time in human history. So if humans are 100,000 years old, we live in the last minute of a 24 hour day. There's a grocery store that's 24 seven, quarter of a mile from here. Okay, that's not normal in the course of history. You know, we had to hunt and deal with hunger until we found food. Now we don't, but we still have that mentality. So so somebody brings in, I don't know, grandma's chocolate chip cookies, our brains think, oh, I'm never going to have another chance to have these. Even though you could go get cookies whenever you want. They have an app to deliver to your door. You can literally have cookies delivered to your door now. But our brains are... Our natural inclination is to think, oh, I'll never have this, get it while it lasts. You know, we're still operating on this old operating system. That's an example of a faulty belief. I need to have it because I'll never have another opportunity. The new belief is food is everywhere. I can have it whenever I want. It's not hard to find.
0: Yeah, that's really terrific advice. I mean, uh, simple but terrific. I just uh, think a lot of times we get away from. Recognizing some of these these things that are right in front of us Just in terms of and I don't know if this is your area or not, but we Hear about eating three meals a day or five or six small meals.
1: I think for most people Three meals a day works But I like to say experiment Mm -hmm. Do what works And stop doing what doesn't work. I know when I did five or six meals a day. It was a hassle You know, it's like I had to stop every three hours to have a small meal. Some people now are doing one meal a day. Okay. I don't like that because it's almost like a licensed binge. Mm -hmm. So find a medium that works for you. Some people do it well twice a day. You know, they, they fast 18 hours they eat at noon and they have an early dinner at six and that's it. Okay. Experiment. That's what I would say
0: non-dogmatic advice is really good. It really makes sense to me. Let me ask about another issue that we're in the midst of COVID-19 as we're recording this. And I know, I guess this gets into both of your areas, both the physical and the emotional area. Quite a few people have put on some weight during this time, basically being at home, having food accessible, and for a long time gyms were closed and so on mm-hmm. with people who may tend to have put on weight where do things like activity level come in or what general principles might you have for somebody who's you know who's not obese who's who may be uh, on the overweight side now but who is fairly close to normal weight as hopefully the world normalizes a little more any advice from the physical and eating area, the exercise and eating areas?
1: Well, start today. You know, we're on the other end of the pandemic here. So gyms are reopening. And the restaurants are reopening. So you can assess where you are right now and start hacking. You know, what have you been doing the last five or six months? Okay, that's not working for you. So do the opposite. What can you do right now? Is the gym open? Great go to the gym. If you feel safe doing that. Okay. I'm not going to force anybody to go. If that's not an option, what's the second best option? Sometimes you have to accept the second best option. If you need to take a break from all of the junk you've been having, then take a break. It's okay. Remember, it will be there when it's over. Okay. It's not going away. And six months, I mean, six months, that seems like so long ago, but six months is not a long time. So if the last six months weren't good, make the next six months good. Six months are gonna pass, whether you do anything or not.
0: All right, it's great to have such practical advice from a guest and such non-guilt producing advice. So I, I I'm really happy that you're on the show and are spreading this word. Before we wrap things up, I do want to ask you while our podcast is directed at, at a broad age range. We do have a substantial number of listeners who are up in the the second half century of life from fifty on. Are there any special things that we should be aware of relative to eating disorders, empowered eating and so on as we get older, or is it basically is that one of the things that just like exercise, it's important at every age, just like keeping your mind active, it's important at every age? Or is there some, anything specific to indicate for older folks?
1: You know, the principles I teach apply at any age. The only difference at 50, 60, 70 is that you have to be a little more diligent. That's it. You might have to moderate your intake and your expenditure. What you did at 30, 40 might not work when you're 60 or 70. You know, it depends. People at that age are getting hip and knee replacements, mm-hmm. okay? So you can still be active. You just have to pay attention to it a little more. I mean, you can't be can't be sloppy. Regarding eating disorders, it can affect any age. I don't see it much at 60, 70, but they can happen. You know, like I said, the typical age is late teens, early 20s. That's when they erupt, but they can last for decades if you don't know how to deal with it.
0: Okay, great. Well, I've learned a lot and it's really, I think one of the key principles of I can, you know, count everything that you've said is one of the key principles is that we, you know, as human beings, we've got the ability to think and that there's a lot of things that are under our control that we really shouldn't give up that control on or feel that we don't have that ability to control it. And it really kind of starts with the thinking process and then gets implemented through behaviors and think that your model sounds like it's a really good combination of both the cognitive and the behavioral principles, as well as good nutrition. So it's something that I'm sure people are interested in finding out more about. So how do people learn about your program and how do people get in touch with you?
1: They can find me on YouTube, Kevin Berciaga. And they can also go to KevinBerciaga.com forward slash Empowered Eating, and then can get all the details there.
0: We'll have this in the show notes, but Versiaga is spelled B-U-R-C-I-A-G-A, if I'm not wrong. As I said, we'll have that in the show notes. It's been a real pleasure, and I'm really grateful that you've been on and sharing these ideas, Kevin. It's a little different than some of the stuff that we've covered in recent podcasts, so I'm glad to be able to spread the word out. And I know that there are a lot of people who are interested in what you have to say. Hopefully, some are able to be in touch with the fact that they may have some issues, and it's not too late to start doing things about it so that the quality of life improves and you're not Constantly worrying about, you know, food intake and so on. Again, it's been a a real pleasure, and I thank you for being on the Rejuvenaging Podcast. Thanks for having me. So this has been Rejuvenaging with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Our guest has been Kevin Berciaga, who has lots of things to share. So for those of you who are regular listeners of the podcast, know that. Next week, we'll have another very interesting guest, another informative guest, and another one who will help you to lead your life enthusiastically using principles of good health, wellness, and positive living. My website is The Mental Health Gym. I hope I'll hear from you with suggestions for future guests, as well as any questions or thoughts in the positive psychology area. I hope you'll also listen to all our podcasts, download, rate, and comment upon them. If you haven't gotten a hold of Rejuvenating, the art and science of growing older with enthusiasm, hope you'll visit Amazon and order your book. Thanks again to all of you for tuning in. Looking forward to seeing you next week. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay positive.